Our text this afternoon is found in Luke chapter 6, the end of that chapter, verse 46 through 49. Jesus says, And why call ye me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? Whosoever cometh to me, and heareth my sayings, and doeth them, I will show you to whom he is like. He is like a man which built an house and digged deep, and laid the foundation on a rock. And when the flood arose, the stream beat vehemently upon that house, and could not shake it, for it was founded upon a rock. But he that heareth and doeth not is like a man that without a foundation built a house upon the earth, against which the steam, the stream did beat vehemently, and immediately it fell. The ruin of that house was great. We have, over the last weeks, followed with the Lord Jesus the content of this sermon that he has preached at the foot of the mountain. And this afternoon we come to its close. And as Jesus moves toward a conclusion, he presses the truth home very closely upon the hearts of his hearers. He has set before us blessing and cursing. He has commanded love even toward our enemies. He has warned us that we need to test the fruit of our life to understand whether or not the tree is good or evil. And he probed once again in verse 46 through 49, beginning with a question. Now put yourself in this congregation. There are many people there and Jesus is the preacher. And his application is very pointed. These are people who are professing his name. They have an outward commitment to him. They go so far as to identify with him and call him Lord. Yet Jesus challenges their claim. He backs the question up with a parable by way of application. It's a reminder to us that the word of God preached must be applied. He doesn't speak in generalities. He doesn't, as a preacher, say, well, we are this or we are that and we are all the, all the other thing. He looks these people in the eyes and he says, this has to do with you. You need to ask yourself hard questions. You need to respond to the question that I put to you. And he presses this in a very discriminating and searching way. Because our Lord Jesus knew the hearts of men. And he understood that in this great gathering, despite what people said, there were those who were on the road to, to heaven and there were others who were on the way to hell. In these verses, Jesus is probing the foundation of your Christian profession. If I asked you this afternoon, do you believe in Jesus? You might say, well, yes, I believe in Jesus. Do you think you're a Christian? Yes, 
I think I am a Christian. And Jesus has a further question for you. And why call ye me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? We want to leave this service this afternoon having probed the foundation of our Christian profession and with an assurance and a very clear understanding of whether or not we are building upon the rock. So with God's help, let's consider our text. First of all, denying what you say. Denying what you say. And why call ye me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? Jesus is essentially saying to them that you are professing something that you are not practicing. You are professing something that you are not practicing. And that is proof that what you profess is false. Two times he uses the word Lord. Why do you come to me saying Lord, Lord? Not just once, but twice. Because in Hebrew, and by way of custom, this is a way that a man would express intimacy to another. And you find this in various places of the Bible. God doesn't just say Abraham. He says, Abraham, Abraham. Jesus later doesn't just say Simon, but he says, Simon, Simon. There's intimacy and there's, there's urgency with it. And now Jesus is saying, why do you come to me and say, Lord, Lord? Why do you come and say, Jesus, Jesus? Why do you pretend knowledge and intimacy with me? which you evidently don't possess. If you turn to Matthew's account, chapter 7, verse 21 and following, you'll see that Jesus presses it even harder there. And there are texts in the Bible that should legitimately frighten us. And this is one of them. I might say it's the scariest verse in the Bible to, to any gospel preacher. Because here it is the preacher in particular and the people in general who are being probed. Matthew chapter 7 and verse 21. Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. But he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Not everyone who says will enter heaven. And then he takes us to the last day. And he says, many will say unto me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name and in thy name have cast out devils and in thy name have done many wonderful works. And then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. Luke chapter 6, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and yet you don't do the things that I say? Matthew chapter 7 goes even further. They, they appear to do the things that Jesus says. They're preaching. 
They're, they're doing works in his name. Some of them are even involved in, in miracle working, like Judas Iscariot would have been, together with the rest of the disciples. And yet Jesus says it's all false. And it's not just a few who are going to be deceived and discover something terribly at the last day. He says many. And they're not in the world. They're not the people in the world who don't care a thing about Christianity. They're not Muslims. They're not Hindus. They're not Jews who will never say, Lord, Lord. They're professing members of the Christian church. They either have no outward works that in any way accredit their profession or they have fake outward works that are done in a legal spirit, but they are utterly void of evangelical obedience from a heart that has been renewed and trusting in Christ. You do not do the will of my Father which is in heaven. What is that will? First of all, that you believe on the name of his Son. If you haven't done that, and I don't mean tick the box, I believe in Jesus. I mean gospel faith, where you forsake everything and you cast all of your hope and confidence upon Christ. An abandonment, in, uh, an abandonment to Jesus because you recognize that all that you have is sin. And the only one who can save you from your sin is Christ. Not this contemporary evangelical thing where everybody loves Jesus, but nobody obeys Jesus. This is the will of God that you believe in the name of the Son. And this is the will of God that if you love him, you will keep his commandments. Jesus is probing your foundation. He hears your profession. He doesn't dispute that. This is what you say, Lord, Lord. The problem is you've professed something that you don't practice. This is another mockery of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's like the child of a father that we considered this morning who says, well, this is my father, but they, they do nothing to respect that relationship. That They show him no honor. If I'm a father, where is my honor? Jesus is saying something similar. If I am a Lord, if I am your master, where's your obedience? All of your prayers, all of your worship, all of your outward religious acts in the flesh are an absolute mockery of everything that you profess and they are an abomination unto me. But not only a mockery of Christ, they are a fatal deception of yourself because you think, because you say something that all is well. You think because you say something and agree with it in your mind that you know him. You think that because you are a member of the visible kingdom of on earth that, that you will enter into the eternal kingdom in heaven. And Jesus says, no, don't be deceived. Many people like you are going to come in that day and they will say, Lord, Lord. And he, he, he will say to them, 
I don't know you. Who are you? And then those fearful words depart. The last word of God you'll ever hear. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. We ought to sit upright in our soul and listen very keenly to the words of the Lord Jesus Christ. Not just you in the pew today, me in the pulpit. Many will come saying, have I not preached in your name? It's like those we read off in the book of Acts who try to do the works of the Lord. And even the demons expose them. Paul we know. Is it Apollos we know? But you, we don't know who you are. You're not genuine. Well, here's a way to answer the question. If you call Jesus Christ Lord, you will do the things that he says. Denying what you say. If you discover something about your soul this afternoon that exposes your deception, you need to fix it now. You don't want to meet God in that state at the last day. Then Jesus opens this up by a parable. And so the question has to do with denying what you say. The first part of the parable in verse 47 and 48 has to do with heeding what you hear. Heeding what you hear. Whosoever cometh to me and heareth my sayings and doeth them, I will show you to whom he is like. He is like a man which built an house and dig deep and laid the foundation upon a rock. So in these verses to the end of the chapter, everyone is building. We're either building on the right place for heaven, or we are building on the wrong place for hell. And so here's the wise man, and he's heeding what he hears. Note, first of all, in verse 47, that he hears. He comes to hear the word of the Lord Jesus. And there are wise people in the congregation that Jesus was preaching to. And they recognize that the gift of hearing God's word is a, a tremendous privilege. They actually get to do it in real time with Jesus as the preacher. Your privilege is to have the church of the Lord Jesus Christ and the ministry of the word so that you can come here and have the word read and preached to you. And scripture itself tells us that the entrance of God's word gives light. Because if we don't hear it, we will abide forever in darkness. In the scriptures, you learn who God is. You come to understand your plight in sin and condemnation. And then you have revealed to you the way of, of salvation 
in the Lord Jesus Christ and the wisdom of walking in the way of his commandments. And then hearing the word we are told is the instrument or the tool that the Spirit of God uses to bring dead sinners to life in Christ. We are born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. What a powerful thing this is. That these words written with ink on a page are taken in the hand of the Holy Spirit to raise sinners from death unto life. That faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Well, so far you are like these wise men, aren't you? You're sitting under the word of God and you're hearing. But the wise man doesn't only hear. He also does. That the most important thing about this person is his response to the word of God. Whosoever cometh to me and heareth my sayings and doeth them. You can sit under the word of God and hear it with your ear and somehow not recognize that it is the word of the Almighty God, the one who spoke and created the world out of nothing, who condescends to speak to you in the scripture. You can feel to appreciate that. But here the wise man grasps it and he receives this word that he hears as the word of an almighty yet gracious king that he understands has to be obeyed. In concrete terms, when Jesus says, repent, what does the wise man do? He repents. When Jesus says, believe, he believes. When Jesus says, cast all of your burdens upon me, all of the guilt of your sin, trust in the finished work that I performed on the cross, the arms of the soul of this man goes out and embraces the whole Christ as a redeemer. When Jesus says, follow me, he follows him. When Jesus says, deny yourself and pick up your cross, he, he, he does it. When Jesus presses duty, he says, what is the will of my Lord? I, I esteem all of thy precepts concerning all things to be right, and I hate every false way. Blessed are the undefiled in the way that keep the way of the Lord. He believes it. Oh, that my ways were directed to keep thy statutes. He desires it that I will keep thy precepts, forsake me not utterly. He pursues it. He doesn't sit down and think about it and say, well, you know, someday I will get around to doing what Jesus says. I know I ought to, but I've got too many other things to do. He hears the word of God and by grace, he urgently responds to that word. So the question then to you is, are you wise? You're like the wise man in that you hear. But are you like the wise man in that you obey what you hear? 
The third thing we note about this wise man is like a man who builds his house upon the rock, he stands. He is like a man which built an house and dig deep and laid the foundation on a rock. And when the flood rose, the stream beat vehemently upon that house and could not shake it, for it was founded upon a rock. We all know this, that the foundation of any building is the most important thing about it. You could decorate that building with golden faucets and the most expensive curtains. And if it wasn't founded upon a firm foundation, it would be all to no point. Jesus says this man builds upon the rock. Now, what is the rock? It is hearing the sayings of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so you could back up and consider just this sermon as the sayings of the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Curses are going to come upon these other people. Woes and condemnations. The wise man builds upon these saints. He goes to Jesus' teaching about love. Love your enemies. He applies it in terms of a harsh, judgmental spirit. And he looks at fruit in his life. If you haven't done anything like that, you're not wise. If you have heard the sayings of Christ over the last number of weeks in this church, if you've been confronted last time with the need to take the test of what fruit in your life demonstrates to you and you haven't done it, you're not wise. And then you can expand it out, not just to this sermon, but to all the words of Scripture which are described as the Word of Christ, as it reveals Him. How often you've heard the sayings of the Lord Jesus. How many times you've been told that all Scripture condenses upon Him. He is the subject because God is addressing our need as sinners. And every avenue points to Jesus and constrains us to put our confidence in him because other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Christ Jesus. There's nowhere else to build. God says, I have laid a foundation stone in Zion, a chosen stone, a precious stone. The only stone. And the only hope for sinners is if they build on him. Oh, you see, the wise man who hears this, what does he do? He runs by faith to Christ. He sees no safe ground anywhere else. And he says, I need to build my confidence, my hope for heaven. I need to build the entirety of my life upon Jesus. Verse 48 tells us more how this wise man comes to discover the rock. He is like a man which built an house and digged deep. Now, why did he dig deep, children? because he was determined to find the rock. 
You look out the window. What do you see? You see grass. You see trees. You don't see any rock, do you? And therefore you know that if you were to go outside here and put any building up, it would not do to simply erect it upon the grass. You wouldn't conclude that because you don't see the rock, that there's no rock there. You would say, Pastor, what we need to do is we need to get the excavator in and we need to take the topsoil and the clay away and we'll dig down until we find a suitably firm foundation to build on. That's the wise man in our text. He doesn't simply just walk outside and say, oh, there's a suitable place to build. This will do for rock. On the other hand, he doesn't weary of not finding the rock by digging a little bit in, in, of depth of the earth. He says, no, I must go deeper. I need to find the rock. There can be no shortcuts or no uh, substitutes when it comes to finding this foundation. It's the way a sinner needs to come to Jesus. There's an excavation involved, an excavation of pride and of self-righteousness and of testing the heart to know whether or not we understand the need that we have of him and his suitability to our need. Remember doing outreach in Northern Ireland and you'd meet many people who'd been to these missions and they'd been affected by eloquence and manipulated by altar calls, and they'd made a decision for Christ. And of course, they're not following Christ. And you say to them, I'm here to witness to you by Christ. Oh, oh, I, I tried that once. What was the problem? They never dug deep to find the foundation. The gospel was preached, and they imagined that they could build their hopes upon the grass. They couldn't. Somebody told them, say this prayer. They said the prayer. They were told, you've called upon the name of the Lord, therefore you've saved. You're saved. Does Jesus not say, ask and it shall be given to me? Well, of course he does. And he says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. But that's not a formula. It's not an incantation. It's not a spell. Say this and hey, presto, you're a Christian. It has to do with the soul earnestly seeking God and casting all of its hope upon Christ as a needy sinner. So Jesus says, ask and it shall be given to you, but you might have to keep on asking. He says, seek and you shall find. He doesn't mean take a, a, a short glance and say, oh, I can't find it. You will seek until you obtain it. Knock and the door will be open unto you. And it might not be at the first knock or the second knock, knock, but the man who digs down deep because he has to be built upon this foundation will not cease until the door opens to him. And he is sure that he is found in the everlasting embrace of Christ. This is the wise man. He does what Jesus says. He builds 
upon the rock, which is Christ, and all the sayings of his Lord Jesus Christ. And then the storm comes, and the house stands. The floods beat against this house, and they could not shake it, for it was founded upon a rock. Here's the man built upon the rock, the Christian, and immediately the floods assail this house, storms of life, we might call it. And those floods will have an impact. They'll cause some water damage. They'll cause some storm damage. But Jesus says they will not move the house. Because the house is built upon Christ. And the flood would need to be able to sweep Christ the rock away. If the man who was built upon Christ is ever to fall. Jesus is saying, build on me. I'm enough. My word is enough. And all of these trials, all of these floods, all of these storms will beat against the house of your soul, but yet they will ultimately blow you and compel you to trust me. Then we come to the end of our life. We pass through the flood of death. And is anything able to separate the man who is built upon the rock from the love of the Lord Jesus Christ? Paul says emphatically, no. Nothing in heaven, nothing in earth, nothing in hell. Not death, not life. Not any other creature is able to separate this man from the love of God, which is in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so the wise man who has built his house upon the rock stands. Now again, again, I ask you, are you wise? You say, this sounds wonderful. Here's someone and trials and tribulations and death itself they can have no ultimate impact upon him because he's safe in Christ. I want that. I want to be safe in Christ. Well, Jesus tells you the way, doesn't he? The wise man hears. The wise man does what he hears. And the wise man stands. He heeds what he hears. But then thirdly, we have ignoring what you know. Ignoring what you know. Verse 49, But he that heareth and doeth not is like a man that without a foundation built an house upon the earth, against which the stream did beat vehemently, and immediately it fell. It's like a house of cards. Immediately it fell. And the ruin of that house was great. So the wise build upon the rock, but many more are fools. Remember Jesus says, many will come to me in that day saying, Lord, Lord, have we not done this or that? But I never knew you. 
Many more are fools. They too build, but the problem is they erect all of their confidence on a fatal foundation. Note in the first place that the fool hears. In this, he's no different than the wise man. They both share the same privilege. So they're in the congregation to whom Jesus speaks. They're in congregations of the church today. They hear. In terms of verse 46, they hear so much as to actually confess Christ as Lord. Why is it you come and you say, Lord, Lord, but you don't do the things that I say? So they're privileged like the wise man, but here they are privileged fools. And the chapter that we read in the Old Testament tells us that this is not a new thing, but this has always been a problem in the church because after that wonderful message that Ezekiel preached about God's judgment and the need to turn. So the watchman blows the trumpet and those who hear will turn, or if they don't turn, their blood is upon their own head. And God beseeching the people, turn ye, turn ye from your evil ways, for why will ye die, O house of Israel? After that sermon, God says to Ezekiel, there's something you need to know, Ezekiel. They're all talking about you. You're the talk of the town. All these people who come with my people to hear you, they think you're a wonderful preacher, Ezekiel. As for eloquence, they're overwhelmed. They even get together and say, hey, y'all, let's go and listen to Ezekiel preach. You're on to them like, like a very lovely song. They love to listen to you. But here's the problem, Ezekiel. They hear what you say, but they don't do it. They hear what you say, but they don't do it. And there you are preaching your guts out, Ezekiel. Turn ye, turn ye, why will you die, O house of Israel? And they're saying, great sermon. But they don't turn. You find them still in the church, they enjoy sermons. They enjoy sermons. They're able to tell you if a sermon is biblical, orthodox, light, weighty, sound, unsound. They enjoy sermons. They may even think they are serious about religion. They may even have spiritual longings. They hear of forgiveness and they want it. They hear of heaven and they desire to go there. They understand intellectually what is said. I could sit them down and say, explain the gospel to me. And they would have no problem explaining the gospel to me. The problem is that is as far as it goes. All they do is hear. Week after week. Maybe, maybe I'm speaking to you today. All you do is hear. All you've ever done is hear. But the problem with the fool is, he doesn't do. 
doesn't do. You might hear as if you would like to do, but you never do. And you're the one that James describes as a hearer only. James chapter 1 verse 21 through 25. Be ye doers of the word and not hearers only. Why? Because there are men who come to hear the word. And as the word is opened, they see themselves as though they're looking in, in that mirrored window at the back of this building. And they see everything that the Bible describes them to be. And they say, look at me. And yet they leave the preaching of the word. And it's as if they've never caught a sight of themselves in the mirror. Remember my father, when I was young, we used to go out and sometimes you would see a disheveled, disheveled uh, individual. And, and my father used to say, I don't think he's walked past the mirror this morning. What did he mean? He, mean? he meant he couldn't possibly have looked at himself and come out in that disheveled state. But you know, spiritually, people look at themselves in the mirror all the time and they see what they are. And they walk on in life as if they've never heard, forgetting what kind of man or woman they are. You hear the word, you see yourself in detail, you leave this place forgetting everything you've heard. You've maybe had intentions, intentions to do what you ought to do. But all you have done is nothing. Do you notice that from the text? Nothing positively is said about this person that he does other things. The only thing that, that we're told about this fool is what he doesn't do. He doesn't do anything. And you sit here this afternoon and that is all you have to do to go to hell. All you have to do is nothing. All you have to do is nothing. You hear and you don't do. And if I asked you, do you, do you reject the Bible? You would say no, but you reject it by your practice. Jesus says, repent, and you still have not repented. Jesus says, believe, and you still have not believed. Jesus says, obey, and you still will not obey, even though you know you should. You tell yourself, I ought to. You deceive yourself by thinking that somehow you will, but why do you believe that if you will not repent and believe the gospel and follow Christ today, that you will do it tomorrow? Why would you think like that? Because of the deceitfulness of your own heart and the blinding power of the devil in your life. But the reality is really simple. The Lord of glory speaks to you. 
and you say no. I can't put it in any simpler terms for you today, but maybe that describes your life. The Lord of glory speaks to me every week, every day, and every day and every week, I have the rebellious audacity to do nothing about it. I say no. What is the end of this fool? Well, he falls, doesn't he? He falls. The wise man has built his house upon the rock and nothing can shake him. But he that heareth and doeth not is like a man that without a foundation built a house upon the earth against which the stream did beat vehemently and immediately it fell. And the ruin of that house was great. May have been a fantastic looking house. It, it might even have been a house that looked exactly like the wise man's house. But the problem is in the foundation. And what's Jesus doing here? He's doing a foundation inspection. You've got a problem with your home. There's something wrong with the foundation. You can't stand out in the backyard and see if there is or not. What do you do? You call someone in. He brings an excavator. He digs down three foot, four foot down the side of your house. And he says, oh, there's a foundation problem here. That's what Jesus is doing in your soul today by his word. He's testing the foundation. The wise man has dug deep, but you have not dug at all. And you would never think of doing this if you came to invest a few hundred thousand in building a house. I said, go ahead, just build it there. You like, you like the look of this place? You like the view? Yeah, never worry about the foundation. Give me your $300,000 and we'll just build you a house here. You would say, no chance, you're crazy. And yet here's your soul and you can't even put a value on your soul. And you foolishly build where there is no rock. Anything that is not Jesus Christ is sand. And every house that is built there will fall. But we ought not to be surprised that people do this because you look at every other religion in the world and it's a religion of sand building. Build upon your works. Build upon your heritage. It's not build upon Jesus Christ. And then we know the history of the Christian church and the devil's got the Christian church to do that largely throughout its whole history. So we turn Christianity into sand building. Build upon the fact you think you're a good person. Build upon the fact you go to church. Build upon the fact you pray. Build upon the fact you know the Bible. Build upon the fact you were born in a Christian home. Sand building. It's all sand. Oh, but I've had conviction of sin. Sand building. You're not saved by conviction of sin. Felix trembled and went to hell. 
Oh, but I've had religious impressions. I felt my affections moved. I've had happy feelings. Well, well you may well have had your affections moved and, and you may well have had happy feelings, but if that's your hope for heaven, you're building upon sand. There is one place and one place alone that you can build to escape the wrath and curse of God forever. And it is a crucified Redeemer. One who lived for sinners, one who died for sinners, one who takes everything out of the hands of sinners in terms of any righteousness that they have. A saviour who says the only thing that you bring to me is the sin that you need to be saved from. That is the place where you must build. You must do the will of the Father by believing upon the name of his Son. Because the storm's coming. You say, Lord, Lord, you don't do what he says. Jesus says the flood will come. When it comes, immediately, there's going to be a catastrophic collapse of your house. And maybe that flood will come in life. The storm will come, probe the foundation of your Christian profession, and you will discover all that you have is a profession, there's no practice, Jesus was never your rock, and the result will be that your profession of Christ will be absolutely wrecked because it had no foundation. But Matthew 7 tells us that people can live in this state throughout life and appear before God at last. And the flood hasn't collapsed their profession. They're still deceived. But what a flood will be unleashed on that day. To those who have kept up a guise of religion, but then they die and they realize that all that they ever had was hearing and words. Hearing and words. I hear the gospel, I say, but I don't do. And the hypocrite's hope will perish and your refuge of lies is going to be swept away. Do you know the last thing that we hear in this sermon of Jesus? Is the collapse of the foolish man's house. And it's written in such a graphic way that you ought to put your ear to the text. Jesus says, great was the fall of it. Oh, the den, oh, the, the collapse when this thing fell. But the point is that might be your life. That might be your life. Can I ask you urgently this afternoon, where is your hope?
Be honest. Where is your hope? The wise man builds upon the rock. He doesn't leave the church thinking about repenting and believing. He repents and he believes. He doesn't leave the church thinking about obeying, whether or not he should obey or intending to obey. Sometime down the line, he obeys. He doesn't live his Christian life saying, Lord, Lord. He lives his Christian life submitting to Christ as Lord and living for Christ as Lord. So I leave you with Christ's question. And why call ye me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? How firm is your foundation? Let's stand for prayer. Lord, we have all heard the word and we pray that you would bless the application of it to our hearts. Deliver us from hearing and not doing. Deliver us from building upon the sand. Grant, Lord, that people would hear your voice. We know that no man can truly call you Lord but by the Holy Spirit. And we pray for the work of the Spirit to that end, that you would conquer, subdue, break, that you would lay hold of hearts today. Grant that there would be such a restraint that people would not even get off their seat but cry out in their hearts to you right now in repentance and faith. Our Father, we don't want to perish and, and we want no one here to perish. And Jesus, as ever, this glorious, loving Redeemer, this beacon of love, speaks to us so starkly so that we might examine ourselves and be sure that we are built on that one foundation upon which a man can never perish. May we fall upon the rock today. May we build upon the rock today rather than have that rock fall upon us and grind us to powder forever. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.